Welcome to Crossroad International Church, where it's all about Jesus. If you are in Kuwait and looking for a church to call home, we would love the opportunity to welcome you at one of our Friday services. Now, here is this week's message. My prayer this morning is if I stay on script, I stay on script, but more importantly than that, I would want it just to preach what God wants everyone in here to hear or what they need to hear. And so if I f- might be stumbling or bumbling and going back and forth my papers, don't worry because I'm, 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 I'm busy trying to get myself out of God's way. So uh, anyway, praise God for that. I'd like to open us up in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning's service. I thank you for the worship team. Heavenly Father, we pray that... Um, that your name was honored, Heavenly Father, and, and uh, pray for the edification of the fellow believers here in the church, Heavenly Father. We thank you, we love you, and we invite you and your spirit to be amongst us this morning as we proclaim your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, Okay. so the main text, I'm just going to go into that and, and then I'll back out of it. It's a text that's familiar with, with most people. It's from Romans 9, or excuse me, Romans 10, verse 9. And that reads, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And amen for that because of the work that his son has done from the beginning. It was always God's plan to save uh, lost sinners uh, like that. Um, but when we're talking about a gospel message in general, you know, who are we talking to, right? Of course, we're talking to people who are unrepentant, right? And uh, because as Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, because of the disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, the very nature of everyone born after them, minus Christ, has a nature that is constantly and against God. Every waking, breathing moment we have, it's our nature because we're in the flesh to be against God. So, what about us in here? Now, most people in here are saved. We're a part of the body. But does that mean that, well, you know, we don't need to hear the same boring gospel message? Hey, I'm already saved. I'm here. Can we learn something else about a different book, whatever? I think that's the wrong attitude to have if anyone has that attitude because we need to be constantly reminded of two things. Number one, our nature to rebel and to, and to slip and fall right? Even if we're saved, we have a tendency to slip and fall and that offends God, right? But the difference is we should have a changed nature and a changed heart that when we sin, we are regretful, we are sorrowful, we get back up and we repent to God and we start over again just like it was when we first came to him. And this is the process called sanctification. And the moment you are in the church, the moment that the Holy Spirit puts you in the body of Christ with Christ being the head, 
your sanctification starts and it does not stop until your dying breath, right? That's the difference. You can go to seminaries for the next 55 years before you die, have all kinds of degrees, have church every single day, sing worship teams every single day, but your process of sanctification will always continue until we leave this earth, leave this flesh, which is corrupt from the beginning, and we become glorified in Jesus. Now, um, there's a couple, there's maybe some other groups of audience in here that I also would, would like to address. And um, I don't know, I don't have anyone in mind, but if you are here today and you just started coming to church, um, we don't know where you have been and where the Lord is going to be taking you. But you know in your heart whether you fully submitted to Christ or not. Uh, and there's also a, a third group of people that I would like to try to address in love that call themselves Christians and yet they're going to fall short of the glory of God. And this is going to be a very hard message to deliver because it's going to require us with integrity to the Lord to evaluate yourself and to see if you're in the faith. Now, is that just so I can come up here and preach a hard message? No, but the authors of the New Testament command this, Christ command this, right? We have to test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. So getting back to uh, the problems at the beginning, what are we gonna be saved from? What do we wanna be saved from? We wanna be saved from wrath, the wrath of God, why? Well, um, we went through several weeks, maybe a couple months of the attributes of God, right? And so we know a whole bunch of things. Number one, God is holy, right? Amen. That means he is pure, clean, without sin. And he can have all the love in the world, which he does, which we can't even fathom, and he cannot be in the presence of someone who is unclean and not holy and not saved. So that is what we have to be. In Leviticus 20, it says, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. So God is holy. That's understandable. Now, a second thing we got to talk about is God is just. What does that mean to be just, right? Just simply means that righteousness, um, if God is going to be holy and stay true, which he does, and he is, and he always will, um, he has to have justice. He has to have justice. Psalm 7 verse 11 states, um, since he is morally upright and perfect, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. God is love, yes. God is grace, yes. God hates sin. God is angry every single day in conjunction with having all this love and having all this grace and having all this mercy 
We got to get in our heads that he also is full of wrath and that he is angered towards those who will not follow his, his way. And it's not like God is unfair. Like we said, God is just. He provides in his word from the beginning the actual plan to get right relationship with him. Um, Genesis 3, verse 15, please. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and he shall bruise his heel. To the woman, she said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and rule over. Go back to verse 15. As God in Genesis right here is pronouncing a curse, he's cursing man, he's cursing uh, Satan, the animals, and he's, and he's bringing in curses to the world, okay? Uh, he's also bringing in a plan of salvation, talking about the offspring of the woman. The offspring of the woman, he is talking about our Savior, Jesus Christ. So God, being all-knowing, all-powerful, at the same time, he's walking through the garden in perfect relationship, then all of a sudden, uh, Adam and Eve sin, and then everything changes. He goes and confronts his creation, that he created that was deemed very good and was able to stand with the Lord. And in pronouncing the curse that we live with today, at the same time, he has also started the gospel message in Genesis 3, verse 15. Now, um, go to Isaiah 13, verse 9, please. Last thing about being saved, being saved from what? Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolate and to destroy it, sinners, from it. This is from Isaiah 13. Now, I know that the uh, context in Isaiah is referring to the judgment of Babylon, but at the same time, Isaiah is alluding to the second time when Christ is going to come. Christ came the first time, the first advent, to save. That's already occurred. The second time he comes, it's wrath. It's the day of judgment. And so this is going to be the heart of uh, this message for those people that um, need to have it in their heart. Now, the good news, as we already stated, God has already started his, his plan of escape of the wrath and judgment. Um, if we're going to go back to Romans 10, uh, we're going to start with uh, verse 5, and I want to read the context that's leading up to the main scripture. We started off in Romans 10, verse 9, as the main focus, but I want to back it up a little bit to verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the, uh, the, the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to, into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, 
in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Stop right there. So verse 5 and 8 speaks of how salvation has always been from the beginning by faith, not by the works of man. And a free gift, the free gift of God has always been close to our hearts. We didn't have to go around and look for it. It's always been there. Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. This is Moses talking about choosing life and death before he goes on to his death and before the, 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 the Jews will inherit the promised land. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. It's always been in our heart, always been in our heart wanting to um, please God. And that leads us back to um, Romans 10, verse 9. And I'll read it again. But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Uh, Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's everyone who calls on the Lord. The Gentiles from the beginning, it's always been a part of God's plan to be grafted into his people from the beginning. Now, we're going to spend some time breaking down verse 9 into two sections so we can really understand the process that leads to salvation. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, it states two facts. Okay, this is what I want to get a hold of here. Number one, Jesus is your master and sovereign ruler over you. But we'll come back to that one a little bit later. The second part is that it implies, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, it implies that you have to repent from all of your sins and turn away from the behaviors and the unrighteousness that you were doing every single day because that is our nature. So Jesus is master and to repent. From 2 Corinthians verse 5, you don't have to go to this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're talking about the nature here. When we confess and we put Christ as master and ruler in our in over us and we yield to his will because we no longer have our will. You gave that up. You are, the Holy Spirit is in you and you were placed in the body of Christ and that's when your heart begins to change from a condition that was straight rebellion towards God to not only the will to love God, 
but you will be equipped through the Holy Spirit to please God, to walk in his commandments and to walk in his statutes. Everyone in here has the power in them if Christ is in you to fight that chains of sin that you used to be a part of. That was gone. That is the old. This is the new. And this is the heart of sanctification that we were talking about earlier. Now, the next part is, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a belief that everyone who claims to be a Christian must believe in the fact in order to be called a Christian and therefore salvation. As Paul states in Romans 4, but words as it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Justification is a beautiful title that says you are dismissed. The iniquities that you bore out against me are dismissed because you believe in the son and the son died on the cross for that sin. Amen. Now, getting back to the first part that I said we'll come back to later. Jesus is Lord. Simple. Jesus is Lord. We just say that. It's easy to say. It rolls off our lips. We put it on keychains, a coffee mug, uh, maybe a bumper sticker in the back of our car, especially in the U.S. We got all kinds of stickers that go from one end of the spectrum to the other. Um, so Jesus is Lord, but what does this mean to the original people who heard it and to Christ himself who actually spoke it? And this is going to be tough to talk about because it's going to be a subject that is disdained in the past 500 years, 600 years of culture around the world. When people say that Jesus is Lord, they might not fully understand what it meant back in those days. This is more saying, it's more than saying that he is in charge and he overrules overall and he's all powerful. Yes, that is a part of it, but we seem to be missing something. The people today normally fail to realize that when you say Jesus is Lord, you are declaring out loud and in your heart, Jesus is my master and I am his slave with absolutely no will of my own, but his will only. It is so difficult to really understand that and walk in that step. But it is the only explanation that when you have a church full of people, I'm, I'm, this is a general thing, especially from the United States concern, right? The churches in the West are struggling because they've got people who call themselves Christians and yet when they leave, they go out into their old self because they were never a new creation in the beginning and it's tainting our witness and it's deceiving themselves, right? Because maybe because we're not preaching 
what lordship really is. We're commanded to test ourselves. How do we test ourselves? How do you test if someone is in the Lord or not? Galatians 5, the fruits, right? If someone produces good fruit, that is a good indication of someone has an authentic, saving faith. And likewise, if someone is producing bad fruit and you're just living in that sin and you don't feel anything wrong with it and you're producing bad fruit, you have to be honest with yourself and assess because you can't just come in here and say you're a Christian and then go out to your unconverted self. You're not here to, to impress you know, me, Pastor Steve, anyone else here. God knows all. You can't hide anything from God. So this is for your hope, for your salvation, that we don't fool ourselves. And please understand, um, this message is not because I'm experiencing something here at CIC. It's not. But this is a message that the Lord has been placed on my heart for several months. I had no idea that it would look like this, turn out like this, but this is what has been delivered to me, and I just want to deliver it to you. There's no new revelation. All of this is in the Bible. Now, this has to do with obedience to his word and not our will. This has nothing to do with perfection. It's easy. To, what, 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 what is Paul saying? Is Paul saying to be perfect? I mean, this Paul, not, not St. Paul. This Paul, as you know, uh, um, uh, am I demanding perfection? No, not at all. But what I'm trying to make everyone aware of is that we've got to have an attitude to command our thoughts and our flesh and um, have the desire to walk on this carpet here, which is the right way and not of the old way. So it's, so it's an attitude. It's not if you are able to successfully um, go one year and not break any of the Ten Commandments, right? It's, it's, it's not based on that. It's based on attitude. One could say that people in the church who claim Jesus as Lord with one hand and in the other, they're selfishly clinging on to their sin because people sin because they like it and they love it. And for in 1 John, it talks about man um, wanting to be in darkness instead of the light. They're selecting darkness instead of the light. And so this gets back to this nature that we were first talking about in Genesis when our nature changed that uh, holds God in contempt instead of embracing him in relationship. The Greek word for Lord is kurios, and it means to have power, ownership, and an unquestionable right to command. Another word that closely related to this is the Greek word despos, if I pronounce that right. From the English word, we get despot, which means to have absolute power and rule and sovereignty over people, despot. John 13, 13 says, you call me teacher and Lord, kurios, and you were right, for I am so. 
Jesus knew the context of the words that he is using, and he's saying that I am the Lord, I am your master. You are right for identifying me as that. From the Gospel of Luke, Luke 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, or Kurios, Kurios, and not do what I tell you? Is that a slave? The worst, wretched human institution that we violated is, the, is, is slavery. Absolute authority over somebody. Somebody's got no absolute rights over their own nothing. Curios, curios. Does this look like a master-slave relationship? From Luke 6. Now, the Greek word for slave is doulos. I won't get too far into the Greek. Only a couple more minutes. I know people getting off here. But the slave is doulos. A slave is a person who is absolutely subject to the will of another, who has no right of his will. So let's go to 1 Corinthians um, 7, verse 22, please. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 22. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. And likewise, he is a free who is called a bondservant in Christ. I must have a different English standard version. Because in, in my version, it says bondservant, okay? Bondservant, not slave. The um, King James version uses slave, and there are a lot of other translations that use, um, or excuse me, servant, bondservant, or slave. There are English translations that use, when the Greek word doulos is supposed to be used, they use bondservant or, or, or servant, and not the word slave. So, the point, of the, the, the point of the matter is this. There was a large movement starting back in the 1500s, um, starting with the Geneva Bible, right, that was primarily used into the, transformed into the King James of 1611, that the, the, the slavery was so etched as a negative in the culture that translators of the English Bible were wanting to shield the readers from the full impact of the word doulos to the word slave. Bondservant and servant is not a slave. A bondservant or a servant is, um, uh, it, it can be voluntary, right? And in the Old Testament, people volunteered their lives for seven years. And at the end, they, they, were, they were set free if they wanted. You know, that's, that's a little different. It's a different word. The point that I'm trying to illustrate is that uh, there's a difference between service and slavery. They're not the same thing. There are at least six Greek words for the word servant, and doulos is not one of them. So if you have your, if you have your translation and it uses the word slave, just know that the most wretched human behavior that you can come up with, that was the intention of that word slave. That was what they actually meant instead of trying to water down the message with the readers. So let's read a little bit more about Christ in the context of his expectations who claim to follow him. Let's go to John 10, please. Verse 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them 
and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And and no one will snatch them out of my hand. This scripture clearly indicates a couple of things. Number one, that God the Father selects his sheep and his sheep respond to the good shepherd in obedience and then will enter eternal life. John 14, verse 15 and 17. This is Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Stop. Again, this is, this is attitude, the heart, the right attitude of wanting to keep all the commandments in love because you love Christ, not the results. Continue. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it is neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Again, if you love me, you keep my commandments. What is this saying? This is saying that a love, a true love for Jesus will involve obedience to his word. If you love Jesus, that's another bumper sticker. If you love Jesus, Jesus is Lord, you will have the desire to be obedient to him. Not perfection, as in keeping his law, but in the right attitude. We can have this, we have this power inside because that's the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you've got all the tools needed from the Holy Spirit to uh, love Christ and to keep his commandments. So basically, what we're saying is this. The sum of Romans 10, verse 9, by confessing that Jesus as Lord of your life and loving him, being obedient to him and his essence, repenting of all unrighteousness and believing that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In closing, I want to leave you with one more scripture from the Psalms. And this is where King David, who has sinned greatly to the Lord, this Psalm King David approaches God with a broken and contrite heart, begging the Lord God for forgiveness and accepting full responsibility for his sin. If you are here this morning because the weight of sin in your life has gotten you empty, it has you longing, it has you frustrated, it has you just depressed or even worse, you are in the right place. If you have not submitted yourself fully to to Christ, you can do that in your hearts. If you've been going to church for 35 years, 10 years, five years, and you never felt this convicted, or if you feel 
that I just keep falling down and, and I need to get back up, I want you to look at Psalm 51 and I want you to pray and read and study Psalm 51 verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read this hopefully in a, in a prayerful way. And in your hearts, I want you to listen to the word. You can read the word if you like. But just pray and meditate on this word here and look at the example that David, although not perfect, he was still after the heart of God. And when David fell and sinned greatly, he got back up broken, knowing that he sinned greatly, begging for divine intervention. Psalm 51, verses 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? Behold, you delight in truth and in inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If you can stand, we have one more song. Meditate on him, focus on him and all that he is and all that he has done for us. You can call out to him in your heart. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message. We bring this song to you.